Kate Mifalcha, welcome to the Village Oak Tree for August 9th, 2023. Hello again, my name is Terrence O'Donnell and I'm returning your digital village with more non-mainstream news from around the world and an op-ed about a specific topic that should outrage some people. This once-a-week podcast is hosted on rss.com. It's also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Intunes, Google Podcasts, Deezer, and a few others. A little about me. I'm a senior citizen activist of Irish descent and a self-professed Shanghai, a Gaelic storyteller. I want listeners to feel like we are sitting under your village oak tree where I will give you headlines from news feeds and relevant blog articles. These stories are generally about climate change, racism, politics, and social injustice. Each article I give you will have a link to read the piece in its entirety in the follow-up newsletters posted in medium.com and substack.com and in the blog section of my website at Ankrambiha. There's a little bit more about my website and my little advert during the break. This podcast is free to subscribe to for all who care to listen. The purpose of this show is to, purpose, is to push people to get up and make a difference in our world before it gets too late to do anything about it. I do offer the option of donations on the Village Oak Tree webpage at rss.com, where this show is posted to help support my activism, much like passing the hat at the end of my visit. I'll be taking a small break once I've given you the headlines I picked out for you this week. Then I'll bring you the rant of the week. All right, so let's get to it. My first story is entitled, History Must Record Trump's Plan for a Nationwide Kent State Massacre. Now, this came out about a week ago. And he says the bottom line here is that Trump and his co-conspirators were not only willing, but planning to recreate Reagan's and Nixon's Kent State slaughter on a nationwide basis. This came out of the HartmanReport.com. So it's a very, very scary story. And my worry now is whether the country will have a repeat if certain GOP members should get elected in 2024. Is this what we can expect from the GOP? A military takeover of the country? So if you read this, it kind of sounds like it. And my next article is called, What Was Operation Soap? The Police Raids That Changed the Canadian LGBTQ Plus Community Forever. And this came out of Medium.com and by a Canadian writer. As someone suggested to me a while back, they wanted me to inject some history in this podcast. So here's a historical story. It's about a Canadian LGBTQ plus historical piece about how people came together to show support against obviously racist police tactics and change things in Canada to where they are now. A more inclusive society, mostly, you know, think New Brunswick, and a model for other similar countries to emulate. And it's a good story about what happened and what they did about it in a good way. So now we're going to get into illegal migrations again. And this is coming up another story out of Wisconsin's dairy industry. Wisconsin's dairy industry relies on undocumented immigrants, but the state won't let them legally drive by Melissa Sanchez and Miriam Jamil. And this came out of ProPublica.org. It's another story from Wisconsin, which I've given you folks two or three of them here in the last couple of months. Regarding the employment, a loose term, I call it indentured servitude of undocumented laborers. In the story, it's all about wanting them to work, but not providing them the means to get there. In this case, a driver's license. A couple of farmers have built on-site housing, but for the most part, immigrants are on their own and accruing lots of driving offenses without, you know, because they're driving without a license. 
Everyone wants them to be able to get a license, even the even a temporary one. But the state legislators are legislators are still saying no. And then this is by and large, this is a largely supermajority GOP legislator in Wisconsin. By the time these laborers pay off their fines, they're nearly working for free. As I said, indentured service servitude sanctioned by the GOP legislatures. The U.S. immigration crisis makes me ashamed to be an American. And this is from Allie Mack and Medium.com. So this is an essay about what the state of our immigration policies are like here in the U.S. now. It is shameful that for a country who espoused immigration as one of our cornerstones of American society in the 19th and 20th centuries, we are spurning people who need so much help. We, need, we started this back in the 1980s and 1990s with our interventionist policies in Central and South America, and we're reaping what we sowed now. Now we need to own up to what we did and help these people, not kill them for daring to cross our borders. As she states here, there are more humane ways to deal with deal with this. We just need the will. And more migrants here. This is a story out of DallasNews.com. If migrant, quote, invasion, unquote, justifies Rio Grande blockade, could Texas send troops into Mexico? Governor Greg Abbott has invoked state's constitutional right to engage in war if invaded. Legal scholars call the untested theory dangerous by Todd J. Gilman. So the Texas governor declares war by describing illegal migrants as an invasion of Texas sovereignty. He invokes the Constitution that allows states to defend against an invasion by a foreign nation. Declaring war on Mexican drug cartels, then advocating for sending American National Guard troops across the border to wage war in sovereign Mexican territory is a sure way to start a border war. So the question is, would the federal military step in for this? Or would they try to stop the Texas National Guard? That'd be the question of the day. Is, be honest with you, Texas is very, very close to doing this. They're real close. So the question is, how would that, how would that happen? So now I've got something that's going overseas. This, these, I got next two stories are military stories. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to give you another immigration story, a couple more immigration stories, and then we'll get into the military stuff. My next one came out of another one from Dallas News. Child from Honduras is one of two people dead on or near Texas anti-migrant border buoys. Mexico President Lopez Obrador blasts Governor Greg Abbott, Abbott for Rio Grande Barrier seen as death trap. No good person would do this, he quotes. So this has been in the news for a couple of months since April. And I only mention it because the body count seems to be increasing. The U.S. and Mexico need to decide what to do, and soon. Texas governor doesn't care about the rest of the world. All he cares about is stopping illegals from crossing the Texas border by any means necessary. Optics be damned. He has declared war on the cartels and smugglers working to get people across. It looks like he is okay with using any method other than outright shooting them. But then maybe that's next for him. And then there's another one, and this came out of the independent.co.uk. Republicans and Democrats agree they want to kill migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. Leaders from both parties have tried to make crossing the border more deadly. Killing people will hardly make an dent on migration trends. This is from Josh Marcus out of San Francisco. More on the Texas border buoy issue and other cruel policies. 
The writer talks about how every president going back decades has pandered to the governors and landowners on a border. The cruelties and inhumane practices have been killing migrants by the hundreds every year, and now they made things worse. As I said previously in, in the other story about the buoys, the body count is just going to keep going up exponentially now. All right, so that's what I have for you on immigrant stuff. Let me get to my two articles here on the military stuff. So this one comes from the Philippines. This was in aljazeera.com. China accused of using water cannon on a Philippine boat in the South China Sea. Philippines Armed Forces condemns Chinese Coast Guard illegal, excessive, and dangerous actions in disputed waters. The bigger issue here is what is everybody going to do about China? What will the Philippines Armed Forces do the next time this happens? And you know it will. Are we going to start seeing Chinese boats being damaged or sunk in defensive maneuvers from these surrounding countries? Will the Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, Taiwan, and Brunei start defending themselves, hoping the U.S. will come to their aid? So the story is about how a Chinese Coast Guard vessel used a water cannon on a Filipino supply boat going out to a remote Philippine outpost on, uh, on, on this island. And on this island is an old World War II shipwreck. And the Philippine Army has been, you know, it's basically a, a recon outpost. It's, you know, if you don't know what recon, a reconnaissance outpost for their army. And they've been there forever. The Chinese are saying it's in disputed waters and they want the Filipinos to go away. Well, the, you know, the Philippines government is saying, no, that's our territory. And, you know, the dispute goes on. Well, now they're starting to get more aggressive with the water cannon. So the question is, what's the next step? And this one is going over to the Persian Gulf. And this is from the United States. But the story came out of www.france24.com, a European newspaper. U.S. to deploy Marines on commercial tankers to deter Iranian seizures. The United States is preparing to deploy sailors and Marines aboard commercial tankers trusting, transiting the Gulf as part of efforts to deter Iran from seizing ships, a, a U.S. official said Thursday. So, again, this story came out last Thursday, but there's been a couple other stories since then. In an effort to thwart the Iranian gunboats from seizing privately owned tankers, the U.S. is training and working out the permissions needed to deploy Marine Corps fire teams to commercial shipping. This will definitely step up the posturing between these two nations and may even lead to some blood spilled. Seems that the U.S. is stepping up, stepping up to a warfighter's position once again with the Iranians. So that's the big question of the day. So the Americans are definitely going to be deploying small fire teams, anywhere from half a dozen to a dozen Marine Corps infantry soldier teams to, uh, to commercial tankers, you know, given the country's nationalities and, and the private companies that own them get permissions to do so. So, I'll, you know, having armed guards on board a commercial tanker with... Well, I'm sure that there's something going on between the Americans that they're not telling us. But, but from from our layman's standpoint, it looks like a free free security thing. Well, I can't I can't see how these companies wouldn't like that. But question is, what's going to be the rules of engagement for the Iranian gunboats? Are the Marines going to fire on them to ward them off? Well, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. My next story goes into racism. Um. And then I'm going to get into some climate change stuff. Mississippi's Jim Crow era voting law struck down by federal appeal, appeals court. Two to one ruling on policy that revoked voting rights 
for certain people with felony convictions is a prize victory from conservative court. This came out of the Guardian.com U.S. News by Kira Lerner. It's about time something changed in Mississippi after over 100 years. The Fifth Circuit Court ruled against the state on their disenfranchising voter laws dating back to 1890. Now we see, now we get to see what these white Southern politicians are going to do next. Mississippi is famous for this. It's a majority black population in the state, but yet the white population has had majority rule for, you know, since late, you know, since so since before the Civil War, see, you know, probably a couple hundred years. And now, they, I mean, they still want to keep it. Uh, but the Fifth Circuit Court is basically spanking her hands saying, you know, you were bad boys. Don't do that again. So now it's going to be a question of what are they going to do? This one is a climate change article from China. This came out of ArchitecturalDigest.com by Catherine McLaughlin. See inside a ghost town of abandoned mansions in China. Now, farmers are reportedly putting the land of the desert development to use. So this is an odd story from northeastern China near Shenyang, which is where my wife is from. Developers gambled and lost on building these million-dollar homes outside the city, and then nobody, nobody wanted to buy one. Now they're all abandoned, and the local farmers have taken over what's left. This will be the, the biggest reason I brought this up is because this is probably going to be Phoenix, Arizona, and some other southwestern cities within the next few few years once the water runs out down there for good. Iran's surprise unprecedented heat shutdown raises questions. This came out last week. It's from AlJazeera.com. Government offices, banks, capital markets, and private businesses will remain shut until Saturday. So the story came out midweek, and they shut everything down until last Saturday. They may have continued even further, depends. But the story, you know, runs it up through Saturday. The government says it's because of the high temperatures. But skeptics are thinking it's more about the crumbling infrastructure and the crumbling electrical grid. Being Iran, the truth is elusive, as usual. And that's what they're talking about here, is that maybe because there's so many air conditioners running, it's, ter it's, it's you know, ripping apart the electrical grid over there. So they're saying... Go home. Don't turn on your air conditioners. Well, that's kind of an oxymoron thing. You know, if you're going to be home, you're going to run your air conditioner because it's too freaking hot. From Washington to Warsaw, a green lash, unquote, is picking up steam despite extreme heat. And this came out of CNBC.com by Sam Meredith. This came out on August 1st. Corporations in corporate farming are pushing back against green laws that will cost them a lot of money. They don't care about the heat from their air conditioning offices as long as it doesn't affect their bottom line. Once again, greedy capitalism rears its ugly head across the world. And what this story talks about here is from, from the United States to Europe, corporations are pushing back against all these new green laws that are ta you know, telling them that they need to curb emissions and all this other stuff saying, you know, you know, and farmers and stuff like that, not being able to use nitrogen and all this kind of stuff because of the pollution. And these are, they're pushing back saying, no, it's too, too expensive. We can't afford to do this. Well, you know, corporations made billions. You know, they can't afford to do this. They just don't want to. Amazon nations launch alliance to protect rainforests at Key Summit. So there's been multiple articles about this last day or so. And the one I picked was out of aljazeera.com. Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Guyana, 
Peru, Suriname, and Venezuela signed declaration to safeguard the Amazon. So this is good news. They signed an historic agreement from you know in South America uh, to try and protect the Amazon rainforest. So now the big thing is we got to see how well they stand up to the global, global corporations trying to take it all down for profit. It falls a little short of a complete agreement, but it's a good start. They did disagree on extracting oil, no real surprise. They also want the richer Western countries to step up to help them save the Amazon. What is that? Why does it all sound like, quote, we'll try to save the Amazon as long as we can continue to make a lot of money and the richer countries need to pay us for our efforts, unquote. Can we say blackmail? It kind of looks a little bit like that. They made an agreement to do their best to try and save the rainforest, but not at a complete standstill. And that's where the problem is. Each country was left to take care of their own regions you know, within their national borders any way they saw fit. And secondly, they disagreed in, in a lot of ways um, about resource extraction. In this case, oil being the biggest one. Everybody wants a piece of that oil pie because that's, that's the biggest moneymaker these days. That's, that's, a, you know, that's a big problem. So again, it's going to be how they stand up to the corporations to stop them chopping down all the trees. So this one here is a combination article. I got this out of theguardian.com. It's a racism article, but it's also about climate change. Racism at heart of U.S. failure to tackle deadly heat waves, expert warns. Jeff Goodall, author of The Heat Will Kill You First, found engine of planetary chaos and travels from Antarctica to California. This is from Nina Lacani. Jeff Goodall warns that if the continuing heat waves keep coming, more and more people will die, and it won't be any, and it won't all be, a, it, and it won't be any affluent white people. The largest groups have proven this year will be the poor minorities, such as the Latinos working in agriculture and construction industries, while our white bosses are working in air conditioning offices without a care in the world over how many deplorables fall out and die of heat exhaustion. It could be in the tens of thousands, but they are considered expendable. And that's basically what his article is talking about, how white bosses sitting in their air-conditioning corporate offices and air-conditioning trailers at construction sites, and like in Texas, they have passed a law, they're not allowed to give out water to, to workers on, on the job sites anymore. So they're falling out. There was one nor, uh, construction worker in Oregon that died of heat exhaustion because uh, he couldn't get access to, uh, you know, take care of himself. So, this, you know, there's a lot of them that are basically undocumented. They aren't, they aren't written up for being heat-related heat deaths. So if, as we go forward and the summers get hotter, we're looking at thousands of people dying from heat exhaustion. And again, you know, the white-collar workers in their air-conditioned offices, well, their numbers are just going to be uh, statistics. So this one, I've got two articles that I'm going to combine, kind of combine in one story here. The first one, Explainer, Western Australia Ditches Aboriginal Heritage Protection Act by Melanie Burton in Reuters. The next story is also out of Reuters by Praveen Menon. Tough road ahead for Australia's landmark indigenous referendum has support dips. So these two articles in Reuters today highlight the Australian struggles to recognize her indigenous populations and grant them the freedom, freedoms to be treated like any other Aussie citizens. Representation in government and having a say before arbitrarily destroying cultural landmarks and sacred objects. 
something the American indigenous peoples are also fighting for. Will the Australians finally come to some sort of agreement with their much older indigenous peoples or continue to treat them as insignificant relics of a past history they wish to ignore over money? That's that's going to be interesting. So they, they've got a vote coming up here in the fall. And the way the bill over in Australia is written, it's kind of ambiguous. And they say that it's not well written. And they don't support it. The indigenous people plus the politicians simply because the way it's written. So the question of the day is, can they generate enough support for this? Well, that's going to, they're going to have to wait and find out. Hopefully they'll get something going because Bless with you, the prejudice and Jim, you know what we call Jim Crow laws are even worse in Australia for the Aborigines down there. You think the United States is bad? You should see how bad it is in Australia. It's it's pretty it's pretty bad. So this one is a political article, and another one out of Al Jazeera. Israeli minister dismisses U.S. terror label after deadly settler attack. Avi Dichter brushes off the U.S. use of term terror attack to describe the killing of a Palestinian by Israeli settlers. It's, if stories like this aren't enough to convince the world that Israel doesn't care about the world, what the world thinks of its illegal expansions into the West Bank areas of Palestine, I don't know what will. The, the new right-wing government is moving, and if allowed to continue, Palestinians will become just another display, displaced group of refugees, much like the Syrians, and so many others in the Middle East. It looks more and more like the Israelis are going to keep pushing to see how far they can get away with. Will the U.S. finally stop giving them so much money someday and treat them like any other terrorist country? Well, that's the question. And to be honest with you, that question is actually being routed around certain circles here in the United States. Of course, every time somebody brings it up, the, the pro-Israeli groups here in the United States get all crazy and in the news and so on and so forth. But bottom line, Israel, Israel has never really been Americans' friend. They've always been there with their hand out, and they've always been there with their hand out for everybody else ever since the end of World War II. Oh, woe is me. We got, you know, six million of us killed in the camps. Okay, we, we understand that. We know about that. We feel sorry for that. But this whole business of using that 75, 80 years later as an excuse for everybody to give you money still and you're doing this kind of stuff with everybody else's money, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe we ought to have another look at that. And I got this article here, and this is from Great Britain. It's a European article here. Yeah, the writer is a Brit. His name is Adebayo Adeniran, and he published this in Medium.com. So the young Brit is telling it like it is to start clarity. I've been pulling different stories about this in past weeks, here, but he sums it all up in this one article. It isn't pretty, and it's not, and it's going to get a much much worse very soon. If the UE, EU fractures over climate migrations and right-wing governments stepping in to stem the tide, Russia will try hard to move in on the east and go from there. It'll be the 1930s on steroids, and I recommend that you read this article because it definitely puts things in stark clarity. And. I, I'm going to go completely different direction with this next article here. This one is about education, American education, actually. And I got this out of BuzzFeed.com. Teachers are sharing the devastating moments that made them want to quit teaching forever. And the system is so, so, so flawed. 
My first year with that student, they destroyed my classroom multiple times, ripped a chunk of my hair out, and almost made one of my aides need stitches. Bahana Dobregos, BuzzFeed staff. So it's a list of stories about why teachers across the United States have left the profession or want to leave. Most of the stories are about how the students are physically and mentally abusing the teachers, and the admin staff largely ignores the abuses. It's pretty scary, and to be honest with you, um, if you're, you know, if you don't like hearing ugly stories like this, you probably shouldn't read this. But it's it's kind of tantalizing, and you wonder why there's a teacher shortage here in the United States, and in England too, for that matter. But this story is all about the United States, and yes, there is a huge teacher shortage in the United States for politics and a lot of this abuse going on over the students and the lack of will to do anything about it. So this one is, I know it's kind of political, kind of civil rights. It's more political civil rights, I guess. Workers fired after complaining about company prayer sessions awarded $50,000 by Daniel Wu in the Washington Post. Although these folks won their lawsuit, it's just an example of what to expect in the U.S. if the MAGA Christian evangelicals take over all the government someday as they truly want to do. And the story is about two people who were not very religious or atheist or not Christian. It didn't really matter. It didn't really go into a lot of specifics about that. But the company owner was owing, it was doing morning prayer sessions before starting work in the morning. Now, he was paying for that, 15 to 20, 20 minutes worth of pay time, for them to stand around in a circle and do, and do prayers and stuff before going to work. Well, these two people objected to that, which is their right to do here in the United States. And they were eventually fired over it. Well, they sued and won. But the problem, the bigger picture is how many other companies across the United States are doing this and getting away with it. Maybe all the people that work in there are like-minded and they like this kind of thing. Well, it's like Texas, you know, making all the classrooms over there uh, you know, in God we trust posted in the classrooms. Same kind of principle. We're supposed to have church, separation of church and state, and we're supposed to be able to opt out without any repercussions if we don't like something like this. Well, maybe not so much anymore. And this one here is an anti-abortion article. The anti-abortion movement is fractured over what it wants from its po first post-row GOP presidential nominee by Steve Contorno, and Kate Sullivan from CNN. This is possible good news for the rest of us. It seems that the anti-abortion groups are at odds with one another on how strict they want a national abortion ban once a GOP president takes over, which is beginning to be wonders if that's going to happen. They seem to be as fractured as the GOP party is right now. Maybe there is hope that they will all break against one another and fade away like a bad dream. We can only hope. And this one here, again, is another political article. Gen Z will be last generation with white majority in the U.S. study finds. Change could come around 2045. Study of updated U.S. census data predicts. But author says aging is not race neutral. This came out of TheGuardian.com by Edward Helmore. Here's a story that will care, scare the white supremacists silly. They're finally admitting this again. They predicted this back in 2020, right after the census was taken and started publicizing it, and then Donald Trump quashed it. But no one paid a lot of attention after Donald quashed it. 
Will this set off some riots because white people in the U.S. are afraid of being replaced? Get used to it, people. It's not the end of the world as you know it. You just might think so. Being a more diverse world is a good thing. You seriously need to get over it. And I picked this I picked this article up this morning, and it is a political article. Um, since there's been a lot of that in the news here this week, I'm bringing up a bunch of these articles here for you. We're not just voting. We're also running. David Hogg launches Young Canada PAC. This is from NPR.org in the morning edition by Elena Moore. This story highlights the efforts by the younger 20-somethings to start changing the politics of the country back to the middle where it belongs. Now, granted, this young person in this article is a noted um, gun rights activist. Um, he's pushing for gun safety rules, banishing stuff, and he's you know he's a he's one of the Parkland, Florida shooting um, survivors. So by pushing young people to get elected to state and federal offices, mostly states, to take back what the right wing nut jobs have taken away from the American electorate, it's a long process, and I, for one, hope they succeed because that's exactly what this country needs. We need to get rid of these old octogenarians like uh, Mike McConnell uh, and Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and all these other old people and all these other senators like Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi probably should be on that list. A few other ones. I, I don't really care if they're still good at their job or not. They're old and they're out of, they're out of step with, with the younger people in this country. So I'm glad to see young people are stepping up. I hope they can take over the politics and put things back to rights. And this one here is another article I picked up. Now, this is from my Canadian friend, Sam W., and her website, worldweary.com. And it's called Conspiracy Against Rights, Preserving Democracy. So there's little doubt that the GOP wants to rule the United States in their image, which is to take the U.S. back about 60 years to before the civil rights movements of the 1960s. For them, it's about power and money. For everyone else, it's about repressive societal segregations again. To take something from the first reference of her article, they don't want the different skin color people mixing together. If the predictions are correct, the white-skinned people will be a minority in the U.S. by the next by the next census for the first time ever. These white-skinned GOP MAGA people better watch out. If they want to keep up, if they want to keep up with all this crap, they'll find themselves on the wrong end of another uprising similar to BLM. Only this time it'll be more it'll be all of the darker skinned people, not just African Americans. If they upset enough people, things could take a dramatic turn in the US, and it may not be anything like it was by the time the dust clears. We really don't want to go there, truthfully. We don't need a how do you want to call it? I want I was gonna say a cultural revolution, because it's not really cultural in this case. It would be a racist civil war. All of the dark skinned people against the whites. And it would go badly for the white people. My last article is a kind of a personal article from a writer in medium.com. She is a journalist. She was a former newspaper editor until all the newspapers closed down. Now she writes, you know, freelance from home. This is one of her articles. It's, her name is Michelle Tehu. When a stranger is screaming at you and you might have a gun, I don't feel very free anymore. And this is in Medium.com in her publication, Minds Without Borders. It's a personal story that highlights how dangerous angry white men and women are in the United States. They're angry at the world and taking it out on everyone they see is weaker than them. 
This is becoming a bigger problem every year. These are the kind of people who would have no problem voting for an autocratic leader in hopes of riding the coattails towards a richer life for themselves. And her story is about her going to a, you know, a personal visit. Uh, she pulled in the parking lot, wasn't even in a parking space. She was looking for one. And some guy got all upset because her car was pointed at him. Well, she wasn't even looking at him. And he had his kid with him. But he's screaming at her while she's in the car um, because he thought that he, she was threatening him with the car, which was far from the truth. But it scared her, and rightly so. But, it's, I mean, this is what the United States is coming to, though. So that's all the stories I have for you here this week. At this point, I'm going to take my break. Uh, I'll let my little advertisement for my website play here for the next couple of minutes. And... Uh, I'll be back with the op-ed here shortly. Take care now. I'll be right back. I want to take this time to bring attention to my website called Ankrambiha at URL HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash 527.websitex5.me. I have the RSS feeder enabled so interested folks can get a notice whenever I post something new. Within the website, I have a blog page where I post copies of my online blog articles and stories and a copy of the weekly podcast. There is a home page where you can learn a little more about what Ankram Biha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little more about me in general. I also have a page with links to this podcast, another with links to my Medium and Substack pages, an ad page for my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. If you like my articles and stories in medium.com and substack.com, I have an option at the end of the blog articles to sign up for a subscription. No obligation. I also post weekly newsletters in each of, as a follow-up to the podcast every week with links to all the news articles and stories that I brought up during the shows. I don't want anyone to feel obligated to financially support my work which is why I bring you the podcast for free. Medium does ask you to subscribe to re read most of everything you see, though. You have the alternative to read the newsletters for free on Substack.com or on the blog on my website. Everything I write about will be available in the blog section of my website if you don't want to sign up for anything. You don't, just won't have access to any other great writers there, but at least I give you a choice. If you enjoy reading, there are, these are some great choices you'll find where you like to read what you like most and dive in as much as you want. If you like what you read, feel free to comment on my website anytime. I wasn't sure what to talk about today. So I want to welcome you back to the second half of the Village Oak Tree. And because I was unsure about what to talk about today, I was looking around and looking around and looking around. And then I found this article that showed up. And it's something that happened in Montgomery, Alabama in the last couple of days. So around the world, this little dust up in the state of Alabama here in the United States probably won't make world-changing headlines. But it's important in a worldview if you add it to all the other dust ups going on around the world over migrants and people of different colored skin. Some of them are peaceful pushes for change, like what's going on in Ireland and Scotland right now, but some not so much, like what's going on in Niger right now. They just had a coup by their military, 
which happens rather more often down in Central Africa and a lot, large part of Africa than most other continents. It seems that Africa is full of small nations who are in near constant rebellion over something. So if you step back and look back, if you step back and look in history, rebellions are usually started because another country has abused the indigenous peoples very badly. And they finally reach a point that they're willing to die to shrug off the yoke of colonialism and the repressive regimes that they supported. For the Europeans and the Americans, they don't care about those less than human peoples as long as they're getting rich off the resources they can steal from them. This is happening all across the world now, especially in Africa and South America. China has no problem exploiting their citizens for slave labor. Think Uyghurs and the poor Han Chinese. They would also like to exploit Africans as well if they can, because it's always about the money. In the U.S., it's all always about the money. We have a very capitalist society here. This dust-up in Alabama is just one of thousands of dust-ups and repressive policies dating back to the Southern and Midwestern slavery days. Certain groups of white people just automatically think they are better than everyone else. This includes people with black skin, brown skin, not-so-brown skin, Asians, and so on. To them, everyone who doesn't look like them, act like them, or believe in their spiritual manners they do, are out to be looked down upon and treated as a lesser species. The worst part is that we, and I mean collective humanity we, let them get away with it for fear of genocide. Don't get me wrong, genocide has happened quite a few times in, in the past everywhere, and still happens on occasion still. Remember the Tutsis and the Hoodoos in Romana a few years ago. The Muslims in Serbia and Croatia, the American continental indigenous peoples, and all the African slaves and their descendants who suffered from whole communities being wiped out at times, and all within the last couple of hundred years here in the U.S. There are just way too many examples in history to list anymore. It's time to stand up and fight against white colonialism and the slaveholder mentality. Stand your ground against white imperialism wherever it rears its ugly head around the world. White-skinned people are no better than any other humans anywhere else in the world, and it's time to tell them that. It's time to stand up to that type of rhetoric and abuse. There have been lots of peaceful protests, like the Black Lives Matter protest a few years ago. They were a start, but the white world pretty much shut it down before it really got started. The best examples of our recent past were the protests and marches led by Martin Luther King in the 1960s that persisted until changes were actually made by the government. But look what it costs. Unfortunately, violence seems to be the only thing that the white-skinned humans understand. When enough of them get hurt or killed, they tend to pay attention. So far, the only ones dying in great numbers are the darker-skinned humans. Niger made the French and other European colonizers sit up and take notice these last few days. They're all upset now, including the Americans. Why? Money, of course. The coup shut down a bunch of corporate ventures, and they complained to their governments over lost profits, hoping that the governments would intervene and, and put things back to rights down near Niger. Yeah, not so much. Now, I don't advocate for a violent takeover by any country, because a lot of people die. But I also am dead set against colonialism. It, it never was good for anybody. So, again, I don't advocate for violence unless it's warranted. Now, warranted can mean a lot of things. For first, defending yourself against people who attack you because they think they're better than you by virtue of their skin color and economic situation, I consider that a righteous act of self-defense. Of course, white majority authorities don't see it that way. Defensive violence scares them because they are usually a minority demographic where it happens 
and they can't allow any group of lesser humans to take their power away. And that's what's going on in the U.S. right now and has since the first slaves were brought over. Once the white slave owners realized that the American slaves outnumbered them, measures had to be put in place to maintain that superiority, something they are still trying to do in today's world. Alabama is a case in point. And I'm going to tell you about this article here when I read this to you here at the end. Around the world, groups of people peoples are starting to fight back against their European-American colonizers. Some are winning to a degree. Some, not so much. More needs to be done so that humans of all colors and personalities can live in harmony. If it takes a little violence to get that point across sometimes, so be it. More needs to be done so that the oppressors finally get the message that this type of behavior is not acceptable anymore and it needs to stop. Within the last 500 years, most of the blame can be laid at the doorsteps of government-sanctioned corporations. They, they control most of the or, original colonizing nations now, and colonized nations now, and when they get pushed back from the natives, they cry to their government leaders to have them bully the indigenous peoples to give them what they want at the expense of the people living there. Corporate profits are more important than anything else in the world. People are just another commodity to be, a commodity to be exploited. To quote a now unique new American slogan, it's time to stop to steal. Although this slogan is being used by another group of mostly white people for a different reason in the last couple of years, this also can be used globally. It's time for the global corporations to stop stealing everything at the expense of the people so humanity can learn to live together as one species. The planet is screaming at us to stop the corporate abuses, using climate change as the wake-up call. If we don't learn how to live with one another, we will die together as the planet burns, even more so by the end of this century. Maybe that's what it will take. Once the human population is diminished beyond the ability to maintain its current status, the remnants won't have any choice but to learn to cooperate with one another over what's left. So that's my rant for this week. And at this point, I'm going to read you this article. It's entitled, Montgomery, Alabama, Black Men Repel and Punish Violent White Mob. We Are Not Our Ancestors' Generation by Herbert Dyer Jr. Jr. This is, I'm a, there's a poem at the very beginning here. If we must die, if we must die, let it, not, let it be not like hogs, hunted and pinned in an inglorious spot, while round us bark the mad and hungry dogs, making their mock at our cursed lot. If we must die, oh, let us nobly die, so that our precious blood may not be shed in vain. Then even the monsters we defy shall be constrained to honor us, though dead. O oh, kinsmen, we must meet the common foe. Though far outnumbered, let us show us brave, and for their thousand blows deal one death blow. For though before us lies the open grave, like men we'll face the murderous cowardly pack, pressed to the wall dying, but fighting back. This is from Claude McKay in 1919. Montgomery, Alabama Police Department has confirmed that there are at least four active warrants pending for participants in a literal knockdown dragout fight last Saturday between a group of white men and black men on the riverfront in that small town. The brawl began at approximately 7 p.m. Multiple videos by bystanders show that the fight began mere feet from the water after a black security guard asked a group of white men to move their pontoon boat so that a river do riverboat could dock. Initially, one white guy attacked a security guard, but was soon joined by six to eight others, including what appears to be at least one white woman. Montgomery PD says several people on both sides have been detained and charges are pending. 
As a group of black men quickly form in defense of the security guard, a black woman who essentially narrates the fight is heard repeatedly, repeatedly declaring that we are not our ancestors' generation. Indeed, at one point, she provides an entertaining blow-by-blow -blow vivid description of the hectic and harrowing scene unfolding before us. All the while, the white men are quickly cowed, rebuffed, repelled, as they were mercifully, mercilessly punched, pummeled, and kicked by the gathering phalanx of young black brothers, even after the white men turn tail and are chased back onto their boat. But the lesson doesn't end there. One black man standing on the dock reaches across and cold cocks one of the now obviously totally frightened white men. Amazingly, another brother jumps into the water, apparently from the arriving riverboat, and what is obviously record time, swims the 30 yards to the dock to join the fray. Yet another brother wheels and swings a lawn chair as though it's a shield slash weapon and delivers blow after blow after blow against any white body or head he can reach. Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed released a statement Sunday afternoon. Quote, last night, the Montgomery Police Department acted swiftly to detain several reckless individuals for attacking a man who was doing his job. Warrants are being signed and justice will be served. This was an unfortunate incident which never should have occurred. As our police department investigates these intolerable actions, we should not become desensitized to violence of any kind in our community. Those who choose violent actions will be held accountable by our criminal justice system. And he's got a YouTube video here, Donald Trump, which I'm going to ignore. I hate the man. So it talks about Trump and Negro rule, in quotes. Donald Trump had only recently appeared in Montgomery to rally his faithful cult of MAGAites to support his presidential candidacy. It is crystal clear that whenever Trump shows up, his followers cannot help but get all into their feelings about how woke black people are out to get them to destroy their way of life, to take over and remove white people from their traditional, hereditary, superior, indeed God-given position of power and dominion over black people and anyone else who is not white. This ideology was first manifested immediately following the Confederate South's loss of the Civil War and the resultant freeing of four million black slaves. It is grounded in a deep-seated and deathly fear of so-called Negro rule, the fear that if given the chance, black people will surely seek retribution and vengeance against white folk for their past and ongoing sins against us. And this fear of Negro rule, quote, also explains why this self-same state has openly, proudly defied a recent Supreme Court mandate that Alabama redraws congressional district lines in order to fairly reflect and represent Alabama's black citizenry. Dr. King referred to this skullduggery and chicanery as not merely the flat-out refusal to rec recognize, let and obey federal laws or judicial fiats, which they do not like, but as the complete and utter nullification of federal power over white supremacist-loving states. Dr. King was speaking and right about this situation more than 50 years ago, yet here we are, still dealing with the same issues, only now they are being promulgated in practice by those original nullifiers, descendants, and progeny. We are not our ancestors' generation. By their immediate and in-kind resistance, this group of black men has let it be known far and wide that the days of black people cowering before white assault are over and done with. We are not our ancestors' generation means that there will be no more marching, no more demonstrations, no more praying, sit-ins, or appeals to white folks' conscience or better angels. That is, these young men know and understand the horrific history, 
the bloody, deadly, and never-ending tale of white terror against black people, and they are prepared to proactively put a stop to it by any means necessary. And he talks about videos of the incident and so on and so forth. So that's the end of the article, and that's the end of my rant and op-ed of the day. The big thing I leave you with here today is that, as I mentioned before in the first half with an article over there, is that the darker-skinned people here in the United States, and I am including the Latinos, the Asians, and you know African-Americans, so on and so forth, are starting to get fed up with this white superiority complex. And as I mentioned, census polls right now are predicting that they're all going to be a, a majority population here, you know, in about 30 years. So that's going that's really going to set things on their ears. So the other part of this equation, these white guys on this pontoon boat have been drinking. They were drunk. Didn't like the fact that this sober security guard was telling them to move their boat because they were illegally parked. And they decided they could pick on this guy and beat the crap out of him because he was black. Well, obviously that didn't work out so well for them. But the problem is, it's Alabama. So what is the Montgomery mayor and the police department going to do? Well, I can just about bet you that they're going to arrest more of the black people than they are the white guys. It's just, it's just a given because it's Alabama. And it's going to be interesting to see if anything turns up any more about that here in the news feeds. I might mention that going further, but truthfully... After anything I've said to you today, it's enough said. Okay? So with that, I'm going to leave you go. Um, this is the end of my show for this week. And I'll say goodbye. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and you'll return again for another episode of the Village Oak Tree. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations, the more the merrier. Each podcast episode will be free, can be found on many different platforms now, although some may have advertisers. Unfortunately, I have no control over that. Search for the Village Oak Tree or under my name, T-O-D-O-M-H-N-A-I-L-L in your favorite app. I hope I've achieved my goal and feel helping you feel like we've been sitting under the Village Oak Tree during our time together. As a Shanghai, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you something that might bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May your troubles be less and your blessings be more and nothing but happiness come through your door. Shlongo Foyle, which means goodbye for now in Irish. <laughs>